On today's show, the Battle of Alberta begins both on and off the ice. If you're looking for those maple glazed bacon Oreo donuts, the Calgary Stampede has you covered this year. Why can't politicians say nice things about each other? We look at the problem of misinformation and mistrust in the government. And finally, we review the original King Kong. This is Penhold Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us again this week. And if you are new here, welcome. My name is Brian Constantine, and I am here with my co-host, Michael Rowland. Hello, hello. And of course, we have to start with big news in Alberta. Uh, after 31 years, we finally have it again. The Battle of Alberta is taking place. We have the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers facing off in the second round of the NHL playoffs. Big news <laughs> in your world, no doubt, right? Sure. Had, I, I, not, had I, I not caught it on the radio, I think yesterday i wouldn't even know what was happening right. i'm calling I am not you a hockey fan yeah i'm calling you out you, you, yeah, you that, it's interesting because actually i don't think you're alone uh, i went on to the mountain view today page so that, that's kind of the, the old innisfail province right yeah uh, newspaper and they have their own little website poll saying are you planning to watch the battle of alberta so i click on it expecting it to be like a 90 percent yes rate and it was like 50-50. Like it's only like, you know, 20, 25 votes or something like that. But still. That used to be a bigger part of Alberta, or at least central Alberta life. Like I remember the as a kid. you're talking about? No, the, just the oh, watching oh, the, oh, the and okay, involvement yeah. with the Alberta and Calgary hockey teams. Like that was a big deal for a lot of people. When I was a kid, everybody made a deal out of Edmonton and Calgary playing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been so long since they're both competitive at the same time yeah well i guess it's been a long time since edmonton's been competitive if i'm being honest <laughs> calgary's had its moments and i go I'll, you know i'll take i'll take a little bit of that back they have both actually made the stanley cup playoffs uh in or the stanley cup finals should i should say uh within the last 15 years i guess it's only, actually it's probably been a little bit more i think they they edmonton and calgary went back to back years into the stanley cup finals oh, yeah. unfortunately both lost um, but yeah, it was, it was back-to-back years. Though I think they're separated by a lockout in between. If my if my if my uh, hockey that was the lockout year. If, yeah, I think the lockout year was in between the two. If I, if, if my memory, if my hockey history is is correct. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is that is more than I can say for this. Again, um, disappointed Leafs fan. <laughs> and yes, I'm going. I'm going to pour out my misery just just a little bit in in this in this part. Because of course, uh, Toronto Toronto lost in Game Seven uh, this this year to uh, the defending two time defending Stanley Cup champions Tampa Bay Lightning, and they only lost Game Seven by one one goal. Uh, so it was a tight tight affair. Now here's a stat that came out now, just to give you a sense of what we go through as as as, as Leaf fans. Um, no other team in the NHL, uh, NBA, or the major league, or major league baseball. That, that so those are all the, the the major league sports that have series, right? Um, best of series. Um, Toronto. No other team has this stat. Toronto has lost the deciding game in the opening round for the last five years. So usually that's that's game seven. Uh, there was that weird lockout year where it's only like game five. Mm. They only had five rounds. That's what. But anyways. So for the last five years, um, Vancouver, sorry, Toronto has lost Game Seven or Game Five, whatever the series may be, in the last five years. 
in the first round. <laughs> no other no other major league team has done that. They they push their way right to the playoffs and then and even through those first few games, I know they get right to the deciding game. And then they game. choke right on the last they game. They can't <laughs> get that over that hump, and they're so close this year. They have such a good team. Um, so yeah, that's. I, I know there's no one listening to this who's actually who's not a Leafs fan that is actually like feeling sorry for me. But <laughs> there are hopefully other Leaf fans out there who, who can feel my pain. Um, but anyways, back to Alberta. Enough of that. Back to Alberta. Um, so of course. Um, this has divided the the, the province, um, ripped it asunder like no other thing. And us Penhold sitting right in the middle tears the whole town in half. I, I am I am a little concerned. Yeah, we we uh, our council at this point is is uh, is really um, in jeopardy. I think <laughs> the uh, Mike Walsh, uh, a diehard uh, Flames fan. Uh, has challenged our mayor to to a wager on on this series. Of course. So, uh, because if you've listened to our uh, old our, uh, podcast with with the mayor, he came out as an Oilers fan. He, he was he said he kind of kept it low. I'm wondering if he's a little more vocal about it now. But, um, anyways, so um, the mayor uh, Mike Yarjo and and Councillor Mike Walsh have put a bet down that each has to wear the other team's jersey. If they're if the other person's team wins, so my, or Walsh will have to wear a, uh, an Oilers fan or Oilers jersey, and Yarjo will have to wear a, a Flames jersey if uh, their their teams lose, uh, and so they'll have to wear those during a council meeting. So, you know, who knows? That might be in a, a council meeting worth tuning into uh, in, yeah. in the future. There, so we'll have to see how that plays out. Hopefully, this does not uh, does not. Um, uh, Produce long-term effects for the entire town. Uh, should this this not end well? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's the that's the state of the affairs uh, here in Pendle regarding the Battle of Alberta. Um, all right. So in other news, uh, we have uh, there's other there's like this came across I came across this on Pendle Happenings uh, Facebook page. Someone had shared this link from uh, the story from RD RD News Now. Uh, with the headline, Potential Solar-Powered Electric Vehicle uh, Charging Station Proposed for Outside Penhold. And so this company, Ion Charge Corp, uh, out of uh, Calgary, is planning to put uh, an electric charging station uh, basically kind of kitty-corner to where uh, Junction 42 station is right now. Yeah, it looks like they're looking at two quarter sections right on the southeast corner of that major intersection. Yeah, directly across uh, the highway. Yeah, um, yeah, and and so yeah, they're so think of it. So I think they're planning on having it like a, if you will, a gas station, but for electric vehicles. So you drive up there and and you know charge your electric vehicle there as you would kind of fill up your gas vehicle. But doing it all off grid with a two megawatt solar facility, so it. It's a completely disconnected station where all their power is self-generated. Yeah, so it looks like, and like they have a little kind of mock-up on the on the news article related to it. It, it looks like they kind of almost a mini solar solar panel farm. Yeah, part of that, and then that's all to charge five. I think they're planning on putting uh, a number. Of, I can't remember a few um, charging stations there. They say they're going to put a washrooms, a few amenities. Uh, solar canopies to to produce added energy. 
Um, I think there's kind of an interesting one in the article. It mentions how they're actually going to use technology to harness some solar energy as it bounces off the snow. <laughs> Which Why is, not? Like seriously, oh, yeah? like suck it up. Like this is this, this is how you're gonna have to do it. And no doubt, anyone who lives around here knows how bright that reflection is off that off that oh. off that snow. Anybody who spent a day skiing and gets sunburnt <laughs> from below knows <laughs> that there's a lot of power in that reflection. Yeah. Uh, and so, so yeah, they're, they're actually looking to aim to get this built by the end of summer in 2023 so just next year um so this is going through the red deer county council and so they got to go through all the land or land uh, permits and, and updates and that kind of thing um now just to give you an idea uh you know we are, i think most of us know how long it takes to fill up a vehicle not very long when it comes to gas um here they make the the, the case here to kind of give you an idea of what it would look like it says, while the price of charging an EV has not yet been established at the ION stations, um, the uh, the owner of this company says that it will be less expensive than gasoline vehicles. And so they they peg it at uh, about $3.03 to charge uh, a particular Honda Kona, Honda Kona EV to go 100 kilometers. And then he says a Honda Civic would cost $10.94 to go hundred kilometers. So yeah, they're looking at under a third of the cost of gas. That's yeah. So they, yeah, they're claiming that it's going to be cheaper, at least for the consumer. And then the charging times would range anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes, depending on, it says the vehicle's battery capacity. So what they're, they're, it sounds like their plan is to kind of put these electrical charging stations along the highway two corridor at strategic points along the way that kind of match common uh, electric vehicle ranges. And so you could travel up and chill out there for 20, 30 minutes and then move on. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but I just, if this would, if they, if they don't put restaurants or little, little, uh, you know, fast yeah. food stuff here, like you are missing out. You got a captive audience for 20 minutes. Yeah. Like, come on. Someone, there, there, there has to be a restaurant tour out there who's, who's going to yeah. jump on this. Oh, well, that's where I found it kind of surprising the idea of putting this kitty corner to the junction 42. Now I know there's not really room at the junction 42, but you want those people to have access to that facility Yeah. because you put this kitty corner and you can't have pedestrian traffic no, across highway two and you really can't have it across the bridge. So how they can't access, they can't go across to Burger King, Tim Hortons, the, all the stuff that we've already got over there. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're going to start to see in this probably expand out very similar to gasoline alley. And I think that yeah. was their kind of idea is to kind of, present or create a secondary gasoline alley. Yeah. And so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see it kind of start building up on both sides of the, of the, uh, the highway. So yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a kind of an interesting development there. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm not ready to jump on board the whole electric vehicle thing yet, but I, yeah, this, I can go you off have for to a, do this though. You have, this is the infrastructure that's required. If you want mass, if you think it's going to be mass there. adopted. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I could go off for a long time on, electric vehicles we don't need to go down that route but i just look at something like this and i don't see how it's feasible financially like this has to be somehow massively subsidized by government grants and so on because you're looking like they're looking at two quarter sections of land right along highway two that's valuable land so i wouldn't yeah. be surprised if that's pushing one and a half to two million dollars before you build the infrastructure and then you're looking at a few dollars to charge vehicles and only charging 
a half dozen at a time. Yeah. Where, how are you going to get enough business to recoup costs on this? Yeah, it's government thing, right? throwing dollars at it is all I can see as a way to fund this. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't looked into it, but yeah, you, it's certainly not on, it's not obvious on the, on the, on the surface, how, yeah. how this is, uh, a massive revenue generator. Like and they're saying, yeah, you, you, you make a good point. Like it's one thing, you know, you stop, fill up five minutes of gas at most and you're on, and you're on the road. Like you can get a good turnover yeah. with that. With this 20 to 40 minutes per customer has, your customer has to sit there. That means not only does the, that customer just kind of sit there and does nothing, but that blocks it from anyone else using yeah. that. It yeah. sets your, your rate of, of turnover for customers is not high. No. Um, so yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Like, you you hope they've they've done their due due due, due diligence to figure out how they can do this because you don't want it built there and then, you know, ten years down the road it's just kind of forgotten. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've seen we've seen a few of those kind of empty lots start to pop up, um, unfortunately. But and uh, like you said, this is yeah. it's what's needed if the technology is going to grow that's and right. that's people are pushing for it. I have my arguments against it, but. If they think this is the direction it's going to go, yeah, this is the only way it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. If this is if this is going to be a thing, there there's massive infrastructure, and this is just yeah. one step that you're going to see. Because that's what Alberta is lacking right now, and that's where electric vehicles in most of Canada have not been adopted. Because for anybody traveling more than within the city limits, you can't yeah. charge. There yeah. just isn't the options available. Yeah, there, there's there's yeah, Canada's a big country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we we travel a lot of distance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So keep an eye on it. If you're seeing the construction starting over there, who knows? Perhaps sometime in the new year. Um, directly in Penel, of course. This last weekend we had uh, Bolarama. I saw a few pictures of that, and I heard the yeah. party late at night. Yeah, I only live a few blocks away, and he, as soon as it was right around that seven o'clock, I'm like, yeah, they've gotten going, and I could hear them announcing riders and oh, so yeah. on, and. Um, my wife said that they were, she heard them still going later that night. Yeah. I was, I was thinking more like 11 o'clock. So, I think they had still had so, party going yeah, on. It, I'm assuming it went pretty well. Yeah. It's all cleaned up now, but, um, for, from all I've seen from the pictures, it looks like it was well attended. Good. Um, looks, yeah, it looked properly organized. Like the, the pictures look like a legitimate rodeo. So good for the, good for them for, for putting that on. Um, it's impressive. I'm still impressed that they could bring in dirt and fences and everything else and run a rodeo there and then clean it up and you drive by and you never you know anything happened. That. No, I, I, yeah, that's, I, I could be, I could be, I think this is, this would be a good recurring event oh, yeah. for, for, for Pendled. Um, yeah, make a nice, get that big, get, get, get a bigger one going on. <laughs> um, speaking of bigger ones, of course, we got the Calgary stampede coming up. Little uh, step up. <laughs> little step up. Yeah. Yeah. We're jumping from Penhold to, the Calgary Stampede, uh, but every every Stampede has to start. And some rodeo has to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, but we're not talking about the Cowboys and, and the bull riding. But instead, we're talking about the other feature attraction, uh, the food. <laughs> and I have never been to the Calgary Stampede, but every year you hear about the food. And I think that might almost make it worth going just to check out some of these bizarre street foods. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think I think this is a this is a, a draw right along with the, the bull riding and the midway, like. People go for these uh, deep fried um, heart attacks, like seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the the reason I bring that up because it caught my eye. The the one there, the the thing that caught my eye uh, in the story was uh, they were featuring was craft dinner soft serve, 
And so, so this is basically the taste of Kraft Dinner mac and cheese in soft serve ice cream uh, format, if you yeah. were. And, and if we bring up the picture here, it's one of the most almost disturbing looking things. Like it almost looks like cheese in a can, but kind of creamy, like because it's it's swirled yeah. up in that typical soft serve style, but that kind of pale yellow color and it's just it's yeah, weird I, I, yeah so, okay see my mind i didn't my mind didn't go to like canned cheese or like spray cheese <laughs> i can see how you went there yeah but to me it definitely has it has the the the, the appearance of a nice piled up layered uh um uh, soft serve ice cream like you would see out of, the, out of a mcdonald's machine or something yep. like that so it has that going for it it has that 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 ice cream look to it but yeah it's 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 got the the KD orange. Yeah. Um I I get, I I can't say I'm repulsed by this one. I'm curious no, by it. Yeah, that one doesn't it doesn't immediately invoke <laughs> the, the kind no, of feelings right? that some do. It's something that I would be curious to try and yeah, I've got an ice cream maker at home. Maybe I'll make there my own cuz I'm not sure I'm going to make it to the stampede, but Yeah, yeah, of course. It's like yeah, you got the powder just to mix it in there, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it, so that that might be enough for for someone. But you know, there's there's a couple more that I think are worth mentioning. Um, we got Crazy Tongue Pizza, and 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 so if you go to uh, again, I'll put the links up on the website. Um, but and it's, it's worth going to this. It's CalgaryStampede.com, and they have their whole midway food menu, and they got full pictures, so you can you can see what these are going to look like with descriptions and everything. So crazy tongue pizza, vine ripened and naturally sweet crushed uh, tomato sauce, mozzarella cheese, slow braised triple A Alberta cow tongue, natural pineapple, caramelized onion, and Baja chipotle drizzle. I didn't know you could get triple A Alberta cow tongue. Cows have a big enough tongue. It's like how like do they like do they like what? What's the difference between like a say a, a, a single A cow tongue and a triple A? Am I really gonna know? Difference? I'm assuming it's a rating on the cow that I, the tongue came from, not the tongue itself. No, you have to go along with this. I I, I, want, I want to see the grading system for for cow tongues. <laughs> like someone's got along and then put in the criteria required to hit these these marks. If you're going for tongue, don't buy the cheap stuff. <laughs> That's right. Um, so yeah, you got that. You got tongue pizza. Um, you want you want the next one there? Which one? Which one striking you? Okay, well, some of them just sound amazing. They don't go off on the bizarre Cajun fried cheese curd poutine. Yeah, who wouldn't just love that? Include it, yeah, it's with curly fries even. Yeah, a nice Cajun curly fry, and oh, it sounds excellent. Yeah, they got that. They got deep fried Oreo mini donuts. Oh, there's actually one. There is one. There is. Um, black forest. Yeah. Black forest mini donuts. That, yeah. Like that just sounds so good. That, that and it looks amazing. Like you've got the mini donuts covered in like chocolatey drizzle stuff and, and the and cherries. cherries and yeah. It looks amazing. Yeah. I, I could go for that one. Now, of course you might need to wash that down. Um, <laughs> which wonderful drink do you want? Yeah. With this? I, I think, I think we need to let the audience know about bad breath lemonade. Um, <laughs> cause that's what this, everybody this, wants. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so here, here's the description and don't, and tell me if you can't taste this just by a description, like seriously. Oh, no. So bad breath lemonade is a, it's described as refreshing ice cold lemonade with a smooth, delicious garlic and caramelized onion finish. 
it starts out so good. Like everybody loves a good, fresh, squeezed, refreshing lemonade from the fair. Like those fresh squeezed lemonade stands are amazing. And then you end it off on this wonderful note of garlic and caramelized onion. Yeah. As, oh. as, a, as an aftertaste. So it's the one that just lingers there. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Like I said, Oh, I just, I get stuck in the back of my throat already. Just, just reading that. Yeah. Um, oh man. But yeah, there's, oh, and, then, there's, and then for the kids, you've got yeah, pop yeah. rocks, popcorn, chicken. So the, oh, your, the, your chicken nuggets, can, chicken nuggets with pop rocks yeah, on it. Can like, fizz in your mouth. <laughs> like, yeah. Like what kid is going to turn that down? Um, yeah, it's for, yeah. And yeah, so you got that one. I think, I think though, if, if you're, if you're really going for the heart attack, um, I think a good candidate would be the glazed donut grilled cheese. So this is a, it says a signature four cheese blend sandwich, or sorry, a signature four cheese blend sandwiched between a glazed donut with the choice of your favorite protein to drive your taste buds crazy. That actually sounds really good. Ah, I know. Some, some of this, yeah. But you know that if that's, <laughs> if that's actually a decent size by that last bite, you're going to be feeling it because you're eating a donut fried up with a pile of cheese. Yeah. Oh man, but yeah, there 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 are a lot to go through. There's yeah. some ones that that will, yeah. We're not gonna spoil all of them, but there 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 are some that include insects. I'll just mention that. Yeah. Um, but there are also a lot of other really good ones, pretty sweet varieties. Um, cotton candy noodles. I'll just say that that's they have cotton candy noodles. You'll have to go to look at it. Um, so yeah, so the Calgary Stampede is coming up. Maybe you're not into the whole bull riding thing or the midways. I think the food's got you. I think I think they have a good selling point with, with a lot of this And if anybody's food. going, feel free to bring me back that's, some mini donuts. That's right. I'll take any of those varieties of mini donuts they've got going on here. Or yeah, or at least leave us a review. Yeah, if if you go down there and you try one of these, let us know how 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 it went for you. If, you, if yeah. especially if it's one of those bold ones, uh, I'm curious to see how those go down. All right, so we we started the show with the Battle of Alberta. There's in fact two battles of Alberta going on. It seems. And this one is, is, was, is breaking basically as we record this episode. Uh, but the results from the UCP leadership review came in uh, this evening. And this is the leadership review that was supposed to be in Red Deer and then got so over, overwhelmingly re, uh, yeah, reserved. Yeah. Like so many people saying they were coming that they expanded it into the mail-in vote, which is why we're waiting until now. Yeah, to find yeah we should have known about this about a month ago. But yeah, so initially they booked a room for about 2,000 people and they went, uh-oh, when they had 20,000 people registered yeah. to show up. Um, so like, yeah, we'll just mail you your, your uh, ballot. Yeah. So that's what they did. And so the ballots were returned and the ballots got counted. And it was revealed um, this evening, uh, like I said, as of this recording, that Jason Kenney had received 51, just over 51% of the, of the votes. Now, there were 34,000, uh, just over 34,000 people who voted. So these are UCP members. Um, and remember, initially, they're looking to get 2,000 in-person votes. So that's 15 times least, oh yeah, what they expected times. initially for attendance. I guess 17 times yeah, what they initially amount, expected yeah. for attendance. Um, and so, yeah, if it, like, so this, this, if you, if this is, this is the, uh, especially compared to what they're aiming at, this is the, the, 
uh, clearly the voice of the UCP membership. It's not just the 2000 that could make it to Red Deer. Yeah. Like, uh, so 30, yeah, over 34,000 members were able to vote or did vote in this. I think there's some 59,000 total UCP members. Um, and so, yeah, Ken, or Jason Kenny got 51.4% um, of the vote to the question, do you approve of the party leadership? Or I think is do you approve of the party leader? Um, and 51% said yes. And so uh, round for rounding, it's about 48, 49% said no. Now, so technically that would say that passes the, the UCP party's constitutional requirement. If he, yeah, if it's it less just a majority. 50, yeah, if it was less than 50, um, he would have had to have resigned. But um, since it was over 50, not required to. Though, when, when this typically, when you, when you do these leadership reviews, it seems, according to some of these articles, you're looking for more of the 75, 80% range. Yeah, when you're hovering right on the... The fifty percent mark of your own of your people. own yeah within your own party the people who have paid for membership it's you know it's not a good sign for your your long term potential with the party yeah uh, and so with that having received only fifty one percent Jason Kinney has uh, decided to step down as UCP leader and as a result as premier um and so going forward. The USB is going to be running a leadership campaign, hopefully fairly soon, because I think, yeah, we're in May now. Yeah, I think it's within a year we're going to have a, a provincial election. Yeah. Uh, so this is, this is going to be making it tight. This is going to be really yeah, interesting. The, having to run the leadership race to get a leader of the party in time to get things settled and ready for the provincial race or election it it doesn't give a lot of time and it doesn't have a lot of stability within the party though of course that being said with less or with only a 50 percent support yeah. just over 50 percent support they they weren't in a good position anyway yeah though, <laughs> though even yeah even though kenny only got 50 percent uh, i'd be i'd be surprised though if those 50 who voted against kenny would vote for the ndp that, that, yeah, like, yeah it wouldn't, I don't think they would go that far. But would it just fracture the vote? Yeah, you know, maybe they just don't vote and that's enough to, to yeah. allow the NDP to run up the middle. Or I guess I guess there is no real middle in, in Alberta politics. <laughs> they just run up alongside, I guess. Uh, but yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how, how this plays out uh, over this next year. Because yeah, the, the NDP, like... The last election, it looked like the NDP is going to get wiped out anyways, um, just by the backlash for, from their one stint. But their support has not has not stayed low yeah. over these over these last three years. They're 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 certainly in the in the fight for for the election. Yeah, especially when you look at uh, the um, the polling of the younger vote. Those under 35, uh, under 35 or under 30, I can't remember the, the article I was looking at, are still solidly in the NDP yep. camp. Um, yeah. Um, sorry, there's just a, just a little side note. Just I, I got I to let people know. I think in that same article, it mentioned how um, those under 35, 30% thought the NDP could do a better, could do the best job at, at, um, Addressing affordable housing in Canada. 
<laughs> well, I, 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 I don't know how you think of a so, how, how you think socialist party can lower affordable housing naturally. They can do it artificially, but then the the country collapses under the burden of taxes and and regulation and everything like that. So they, yeah, the NDP will come in and just say your house is worth this much, and that that's that's how much you have to pay for it. It's not going to be any good for the economy. But yeah, I can't believe uh, how naive some young voters are when it comes to voting in NDP to help economic and housing situations like that. Anyways, that's a side <laughs> note. Now, I guess on, on, on this leadership vote, uh, I guess there's, there's kind of two points, I, I think, that come to mind. First, Kenny had mentioned at the beginning of this whole leadership review that he would stay on le as leader if he even just got a slim majority. Like, I think he literally said, even if I get 50, 50 plus one, I'll stay on. And then here he gets 51 and he, he's gone. I think this is kind of an example of how a lot of people or why a lot of people didn't like his, his, his leadership. He would say these, this one thing and then do the exact opposite in many cases. And like yeah. if, as situations changed. So like the, the, the obvious one is the Vax passport. Yeah. He initially said he wasn't going to do anything or he wasn't going to, that was not going to be a thing in Alberta. And then situation changed and and numbers went up, and lo and behold, here's the Vax passport. Yeah, he makes very, he would make very hard line kind of statements. Yeah, that's right. That didn't give him leeway to adjust as the the situation changes. Yeah, and so he makes a very hard line approach in one direct or statement in one direction, and then he's forced to break that when the situation changes. In, instead of being a little more open about it and saying that at this time or anything like that, he just would say, I will not do that. And mm -hmm. then he's forced to either break it or make a really bad choice. Yeah. And so he puts himself, he kept putting himself kind of backing himself into a corner with no options. Yeah. Like, like I appreciate kind of the definitiveness and, and, the, and, the, and the, the firmness of the decision. Uh, and whereas a lot of politicians are whole wishy-washy and yeah. not really saying what they're going to do. But unless you're going to stick to that, stick to your guns on that. And when you're making such clear cut calls, like we will not go this way, you have to stay by it. Otherwise you're no, no better than the wishy-washy. In fact, it looks even worse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he, he didn't, there's, there's a number of different examples that come to mind or at least kind of that I can think happen in that way that a lot of people have, have found um, unappealing for his leadership style. Um, and so, yeah, it, so yeah, there's, 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 I like, I like decisive leadership, but if you're going to make the decision, stay the course then. Yep. Otherwise, yeah, it's going to come back to bite you. Um, and then the other, the other thing is of course, whenever a party leader, uh, steps down, resigns, retires, um, all his political enemies all of a sudden say, oh, what a great guy he was and give him the... <laughs> The, the old send off, uh, congratulatory work, uh, send off, you know, good job. And of course we get that from Rachel Notley. She tweeted out saying, I want to thank Jason Kenny for his public service. There are obviously many things about which we don't agree, but that doesn't negate the time and sacrifice that goes into, or into taking on the role of premier. My, my question is why can't they be that collegial all the time? Yeah. The way they treat each other. While they're indirect competition or indirect debate, 
is certainly nothing resembling that. No, like, like have like there's a difference between vigorous debate and um, and kind of this play acting that goes on so many so often. Yeah, uh, and and it, when you read that kind of statement that that sentiment that, that Notley puts out and again this goes on both sides it just happens that Notley's on this side of it but uh it 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 feels like a breaking character almost it's like what no I thought Jason Kenny was like the enemy and scourge of the earth if if I'm if I'm following what you're saying all the time like there's there's nothing good about what Kenny does or about yeah. what the, the political opposition does and yet here it's like, oh, you actually found something nice and, and polite to say yeah. about him. Well, why can't you, why can't you have that kind of re- uh, pleasant pleasantries at least? Like you can have respect for your opponent, even as you vehemently disagree with them, but it doesn't seem like there's any respect uh, during those kind of dialogues. It, it's somewhat natural in human in humanity like there's a saying don't speak ill of the dead as soon as somebody's left so in, let's just put apply that to politics don't speak ill of the politically dead <laughs> right, like yeah. it's a political they, funeral basically yeah they they can't speak badly about somebody once they're no longer um a real opponent yeah and so it we do the same thing in our everyday life you you don't speak badly about the the grandmother who died and did some horrible things in her life. You now you can't speak badly, or at least not the person. funeral. Don't do say yeah. funeral. <laughs> so, in a lot of ways, that's really what this ends up being. It's just yeah, in some ways, right? You can't speak badly now that he's been disavowed by his party. Yeah, but yeah, I just can't help but feel like things politically would be so much better oh, for sure if this was the kind of dialogue. Yeah, uh, uh, at least at least some show of mutual respect for, for your, for your opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, but sadly, yeah, it only seems to happen when you lose the election or have to step down or retire. Um, but yeah, so, so we're going to talk a little bit more kind of about this whole political, um, political landscape and, and the way that way that the, the dialogue goes and, uh, the political dialogue and and kind of this contrast between wanting to really needing a government that you can trust and yet a government and and politicians that just seem to have no interest in actually looking trustful or trustworthy i should say no desire to be trustworthy yeah and not even putting on a front of being trustworthy yeah it's, it's it's the they they put on they they put on a smiling face, but it just it, it like I said it just looks like they're putting on a mask. It's it's not a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's there's been a lot of kind of if you will fallout from the freedom convoy from from February, and so there's um, obviously the public inquiry is starting to get underway. We're starting to figure ask questions about why decisions were made, what went into the decision making process. And so both sides of the aisle are trying to make political hay out of it, of course. Yeah. Um, now, so before you directly into politics, though, the, though this isn't very far away from it, um, the interesting story that came out about um, Tamara Lynch, she was one of the organ or one of the main organizers and faces of the Freedom Convoy. Yeah. Uh, so she was um, initially arrested just before. 
Um, Ottawa was cleared out, the streets of Ottawa. And she ended up spending 18 days in jail before she was released on bail. So she was um, charged with uh, mischief, counseling mischief, obstructing police, counseling to obstruct police, counseling intimidation and intimidation by blocking and obstructing one or more highways. Um, so, no, it's, 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 those, those, those were the charges. So we're not, we're not talking uh, about, uh, you know, heinous crimes here. Um, and yet she was still required to spend 18 days in jail. Finally, she was released on bail. And part of those conditions was that she's not allowed coming back to Ottawa unless it's for like court appearances. Um, and I think she's under kind of the recognizance of a, of a friend who has to keep an eye on her. She can't go on social media. And as well, she is not allowed uh, to verbally, in writing, financially, or by any other means, support anything related to the Freedom Convoy. All right. So it's within, it's within that context that the Crown Prosecutor, so the government, basically, yep. is trying to get her put back in jail and for breaching these, these bail conditions. The, the reason is that the, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms um, the JCCF is host, is hosting a kind of an awards gala, fundraising gala. Uh, and part of that is to, they're going to give uh, Tamara Lynch uh, uh, an award for, and according to this article, it says uh, that she inspired Canadians to exercise their charter, or charter rights and freedoms by participating actively in the democratic process, calling the occupation of Ottawa a peaceful protest that awakened many to the injustice of COVID lockdowns and vaccine mandates. And so just by participating in this, this ceremony, or at least it hasn't taken place. This is just, she's promised to be there, I think. Mm. And um, so just that alone, the crown is trying to get her put back in jail yeah. as a result. This still feels like a lot of political weight and pressure being put onto this. For those charges, like there, there, there's even question, like, and so on. On the flip side, the her her attorneys uh, are trying to actually get some of the bail conditions removed, uh, particularly I think the social media on the on charter grounds. So this is similar to I think um, the pastor uh, Arthur, um, uh, yeah, Pulowski, Pol yeah, Pulowski, where he was required to say. You know, right. yeah, 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 yeah. He had to put in some disclaimer against his position. I can't remember the exact wording of it. Yeah, but they had a specifically worded thing That's that right. he was Here's supposed to put on anytime he spoke or wrote about the, yeah, the, the lockdown, the lockdowns, yeah. vaccine stuff, mandates. Yeah, um, and so that got thrown out actually. Yeah, and so I think similarly here they're trying to get some of the some of the conditions released off of off Tamara Lynch here. I, yeah, to to me this is just. This feels like a lot of political weight and, and posturing going on here, unfortunately, at, at her expense. And we talked about this a little bit. I think it just mentioned in passing how the whole court system is set up to drag on for so long yeah. with so many different um, um, stops along the way, so many different procedures in place, and not, and not to mention just the lack of judges, that these drag on and on and on. And unless you have... Uh, an organization like the JCCF, though I'm not sure they're exactly representing her, uh, but unless you have outside financial support, you you're, you're, you feel the pressure just to give in. Yeah, it's an incredibly unfair system when you've got the government, which is 
ultimately unlimitedly funded yep. against an individual who, even if they are in the right, doesn't have the funding, the time, or the ability to fight it. Mm-hmm. It can drag on forever, ruin their entire life, and the government isn't phased by it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's... <laughs> It's yeah. It's, I don't think it's an angle of 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 the courts that a lot of people, most people probably only even interact with the courts, thankfully, but uh, pretty in serious matters. But in in many cases, yeah, it's it's the length that that that's the 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 uh, compounding factor when it comes to court cases and whether or not you take the plea deal or or defend your innocence. Yeah, um, that's that's a that's a tough choice that a lot of people have to make. Um, so yeah, that's. So that that's part of the fallout from from the Soul Freedom Convoy. Now, on kind of more directly involved in in the in the politics, and particularly around the the public inquiry is is centered around getting to the bottom of the decision making process regarding the Emergencies Act. Yeah, this was uh, kind of the nuclear option for the government to um, put on strict uh, restrictions on Canadians. Particularly those that were involved in in that they thought were involved in the freedom convoy, uh, particularly um, gave extra powers to the police to move people and tell people where they can and can't go, um, and the and the other one the other big one was to get directly involved in their in their bank accounts and freeze yeah. bank accounts. Like just just imagine yourself um, having your bank account frozen for any length of time. Like how oh, I know. quickly would you feel that? I know, and I've I've read stories and. Take it for what it is. There may may be some of it that's been a bit embellished, but people who only gave $50 to the convoy because they felt like they agreed with the cause and wanted to support it, and suddenly their bank account was frozen for weeks. Yeah. And you can't pay bills. You can't do anything. Your whole life can fall apart really fast if you don't have access to your money or ability to even get your paychecks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Like, yeah, just you know, just think about it. It's... it's <laughs> you whip out that bank card all like without thinking about it. Um, but yeah, if you can't access that funds, that's think about, think about how restricting that would feel. Um, and this is all done just through the banks themselves doing it. Yeah. Um, and with very little due process, if, if my understanding was correct on that, um, you would just find yourself locked out of your bank account and not really sure what process to go through to get unfrozen. Yeah. So that so that that's the that was the Emergencies Act, and so the, the, that's what the public inquiries kind of kind of flush out. How did and why why was this put in place? Was this appropriate? Um, now, one angle though is that there is this um, that the conservatives are playing up, and I think the liberals have a little bit of a case that the conservatives are, are pushing pushing this angle a little bit hard. But nonetheless, it, it I think you'll see at the end we're we're kind of talking about the government and, and, and mistrust and the mistrust that, that that government activity tends to bring up. And so the conservatives are, are kind of playing this angle up about um, uh, a, a, a possible surveillance, military surveillance plane that was flying over Ottawa. And so the Ottawa citizen has a, has a article kind of detailing what was going on with this plane. And, the the what what was happening is the military had scheduled 
uh, some training exercise training exercises for a new surveillance plane, or at least a surveillance plane that's a model of what we are going to get from the U.S. later on. Ah. <laughs> so, so this isn't even actually ours. It's so it's a private contractor who's doing this training with the military. Now I say that because on January 27th there is a, a directive. This article says that stipulated that Canadian forces vehicles and personnel were to avoid the Ottawa protest and the Royal Canadian Air Force planes were not to fly over the Freedom Convoy demonstration. And this was to try to avoid any uh, uh, perception that the military was was anywhere right. to be involved. <clears throat> and you can understand why. <laughs> yeah, you don't want it escalating in that way. Yeah, and, and so you can see just this alone is... is so this, that was put out on January 27th. And so after that, um, after that directive was put out, the plane still went up. And so part of the argument was, well, that was for military. This is a private contractor. <laughs> it's kind of blurry. All right. And then the, the other question is, well, okay, it, it could fly any, so they, you know, the, the, the surveillance plane could fly anywhere around the Ottawa region. But the uh, one researcher has tracked it, and it was kind of in a more suspicious surveillance pattern over Ottawa. Right. Like, like I, all this, so this is what the, the conservatives are kind of picking up on, right? Yeah. You can, you can see how there's handles there for them. But my main point is not so much whether or not the military was, was surveilling Canadians. It's more about kind of the how this was handled um, as a result of questions being uh, brought up about it. So the article says that when questions were first asked about the flights, national defense tried to avoid being linked to the aircraft. Then the de department acknowledged that the flights were part of military training involving intelligence gathering and surveillance equipment. Like right, right, right there. Like why, why are you trying to distance it? Like, yeah, what do you, it, all, it, it just, it just, it's just fodder for conspiracy and and questioning what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah, if they had just admitted that if if they really were not surveilling and they just said what it was to begin with, there'd be a lot less to base this argument on. Yeah. But when you look at it and they're trying to distance themselves, they're trying to deny it until enough evidence comes forward that they can't. That just like you say it, it's just <laughs> adding to the fuel. Right. For the conspiracy theorists. Like there might not be any this. fire there, but you are not doing a very good job of convincing me there isn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because it goes on. It says, only after military sources revealed... Um, yeah, it was, only after that, it was only after military sources revealed the aircraft was being operated by Canadian Special Forces that National Defense acknowledged that link. After an article appeared in this newspaper, The Ottawa Citizen... Um, other sources emerged to detail or to provide details about the January 27th RCAF directive that pro that prohibited military flights over the Ottawa protest. And then uh, Lobitner, um, the Lobitelier, um, <laughs> said that the directive was issued to reduce the risk of generating a false perception of CAF Canadian Armed Forces activities personnel and presence being associated with domestic uh, event at the time. So, so not only are, did the defense uh, department kind of say, no, that wasn't ours. Oh, wait, yes, it was. But then it was only after more articles came out that they mentioned that there was actually a military directive that's saying there shouldn't be any military activity or flights in this area. So, so there's kind of two levels of deception going on <laughs> yeah. here, or at least secrecy. Like, 
why do this? I don't get it. Like, what's what's the need for the secrecy? Like, this is just this is you you want to cut down on all these conspiracy theorists and misinformation. This is the exact way you don't do that. Yeah, this is just giving them <laughs> data to work with, or yeah, it's really just leading them leading them on to build these theories and think that the government or the air force was directly involved. Yeah. Like, like why not just jump to the immediate transparency or at least, at least give me the, the, the excuse, let me look into it kind of thing. But it's, it was this, it, it's more than that. It's just why the secrecy. And I don't get it. So it's like, and this is the military. Like we need to be able to trust military command. Like, as much as we trust the the government, like we have to be able to trust the military leaders in charge, and yet this this does nothing to help support that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, yeah, and so like, okay, what are you hiding? Maybe there's nothing, but maybe you're just trying to hide your own incompetency. It's like you don't have to do that. We already know that most of the government is incompetent <laughs> about what it's doing. So yeah, it. it why is my question. Why yeah. why the unnecessary or apparent unnecessary secrecy? It does nothing to help cut down on misinformation, on conspiracies, or build trust in, in, in the government or military. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, as I said, the conservatives were, were all over this. And, and again, you can see why with all these kind of what's going on here and, and half statements and corrections. Um, they're all over Justin Trudeau and question period over this. And and he 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 denied it, or at least he I shouldn't say he denied it. He explained it as it was explained. It was a training exercise. Yeah. And quite quite honestly, you know, maybe I'm naive on this point. Like, okay, I'll I'll take your take your word at it. But the way it was handled, it makes it really hard to. Yeah. Um. But anyways, so it says Prime Minister Justin Trudeau confirmed the flights were part of military training, which again weren't that wasn't what was initially said. But anyways. They were part of military training, but said the plane was not involved in surveillance of the demonstrators. Again, this is a question, or this this statement is is brought into question about the flight pattern of the of the surveillance. Like, don't do this to yourself. This is just I'm not I'm, I have no support for the liberals, but don't do this to yourself. Um, and then it says he stated or he stated the questions from conservative MPs were dangerously close to misinformation and disinformation. So, so what do you call the information presented by? The- the military when they're saying that they weren't connected to it, when they're saying that it wasn't that there was a directive that wasn't, weren't flying over the, yeah. the city and so on. Like if you're referring to the questions from the conservatives as misinformation and disinformation, what is, what do you call the statements from the air force? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, this is the, like to be again, Completely honest, the, the the questions from the conservatives as I was reading them do kind of make it more presumptive that surveillance was actually going on. Yeah. Then 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 there is actually proof of. Again, there's there's a lot of questions about how this was handled. So again, it's not completely disconnected from reasonable inquiry the way it was handled. But nonetheless, there is no direct evidence that surveillance was going on. But it and 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 so when, when the government calls out such questions as misinformation or and disinformation, that's, uh, it, it doesn't, doesn't ring as, as sincere. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it, now, okay, it's it's one thing for government or for politicians to speak half truths and spin their spin the truth to their side. Otherwise, no one has as you know lying. Um, but anyways, <laughs> uh, so so I I. I I, I'm not really critiquing that component, though that is that in itself. Just be more forthright with each other, as I, and this is where the whole notly thing comes in. Be, be have have some respect for your opponent. Yeah, present talk to him truthfully instead of trying to question him with your own spin, and then he spins back with his. You're getting nowhere. It helps no one. But anyways, this uh, this so I'm I'm not really critiquing that. What's going on here, and the National Post uh, is is kind of doing the same here, uh, and I'll get to their article in a second. They're they're pointing out the hypocrisy of of a government who's claiming to um, to be again, or who claims to be so um, against misinformation. And so we've talked about how Bill C eleven is out there. That's the mm-hmm. one to, yeah. to regulate the internet. Yeah. And part of that is to allow this digital com- or digital um, uh, forget digital privacy commissioner to go out and and kind of make sure everything on the internet is on the up and up and can take down pages and websites if it's deemed to be misinformation or disinformation. Yeah. So the government is on one side saying. You know, we're we're combating this this scourge of, of mistruth and, and misinformation out there. And yet when we look at how the government handled the whole freedom convoy and the, the language that was used around it, that's where the, the hypocrisy is. Yep. Um now here I think it's I think it's worth kind of defining a couple of terms that we've been using over, at least I've been using over misinformation and disinformation. And I, I think these are just general or definitions. I don't think there's anything special. Um, misinformation, I think, would be, I think, is adequately defined as statements presented or believed to be true, but are in fact false. So it's like an unintentional, to some extent, unintentional. So if I present something I believe is true, I'm not intentionally trying to deceive you. Correct. But it is misinformation. I'm mistaken with that information. Yeah. And so this is often used to describe people who've put out, um, who've critiqued the vaccine mandates or vaccines themselves right with yes you know in all and i think in all in all areas there's there's people who who try to twist the information and and not not maliciously either i think i think a lot of people who who are against the vaccines um and think that there's some sort of conspiracy or questioning about their their development um i think a lot of them uh are putting out information that they believe to be true yeah uh, I, I don't think this is a part of some sort of grand conspiracy to undermine government, even though that might be the consequence, but it's, 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 it's not malicious in that way. Uh, so it's misinformation. They believe it to be true, though, in fact, it's, it's false. Disinformation, though, is, I think, statements that are made um, that are known to be false, but are presented as true. This, this tends to be more kind of what you think of when it comes to, like, spies and counterintelligence, yeah. um, that kind of espionage kind of stuff going on here you'll have say russia presenting a story uh in order to foment dissension within another country or something like that or they'll plant information um and so these are so whenever when when someone who's presenting disinformation they're saying things they know are false but they're presenting them as true and oftentimes there's a ulterior motive for result but uh, it's, it's neither here nor there. I think it's it's the fact that that's the distinction. Misinformation, 
the person who's saying it, it believes it to be true, though it's false. The other one, it's presented as true, though the person saying it knows it to be false. Um, now, I don't. This this is the, this next one is my, kind of my own thinking and, and process on this. I think there's another category, and this might just be you could you classify this as in the old political talk. <laughs> like <laughs> this is often how at times it goes, but it's more if, to kind of fit the whole information category that we've kind of created for ourselves. I consider this category to be kind of negligent or reckless information. So the way I define this as these are statements presented as true without knowing whether they are in fact true. So you say something that, so this often comes out, these kind of statements often come out um, very quickly or in the midst of say a crisis or an event that politicians are perhaps trying to get uh, their, get the, their point of view across. Right. Um, uh, tragically in the States, obviously they had a recent spat of shootings and you see this kind of information going about with, with, you know, gun control conversations. And I think here you had a lot up in, up in Canada, you had a lot of this kind of negligent, reckless information from, from politicians on both sides. But yeah. since liberals are in power, I'm going to pick on them. And this is what the article here does as well. Um, that these were statements that, you know, if, if I had more information about them, perhaps these would actually be classified as disinformation. They'll give the people the benefit of the doubt that they are just more malevolent than, or they're just, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're negligent in their use of language and information. Yep. They, they, they see uh, this freedom convoy, they don't like it, and they have a narrative that they're trying to attach to it. And so whether or not this, they have all the information to back up the statement, the statement serves their preconceived narrative or direction they want this thing to go in. And later on, I'll kind of double check to see maybe if this was true or not. Um, so yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the National Post lays out a few different examples of it. And so this is, they kind of connect this to Trudeau's interaction with the, the surveillance planes. It, it's not exactly true what's going on there or exactly known because of the way it was handled. But um, the, the other things that, that kind of came up, um, the, uh, at, at the time of the Freedom Convoy, it, said, uh, it says that liberal MPs often repeated the claim that the demonstrators were fueled largely by foreign cash. And then here's a quote that says that the illegal occupation in our capital city by a group of centrally coordinated individuals who were terrorizing the citizens of Ottawa for three weeks with the stated intent of overthrowing the government, in fact, had the majority of their funding from foreign sources. This is a quote from Liberal MP Ryan Turnbull on February 20th. Well, they've had since now come out and in committees found that 88% of the $10 million that was raised on the GoFundMe page was in fact Canadian for sources. Yeah. Hardly. Yeah, certainly not. Majority. Majority foreign. Like that's 12%. <laughs> that came from outside the yeah, country. Yeah, there's no way you can see this majority in any in any no. sense of that. But that's just not, and that doesn't end up getting corrected. So at the time, like, what was he basing that on? Like, what did he have information? Did he have incomplete information? So, like, maybe this is mis misinformation. Maybe he actually thought this was true. But we have no idea. But it, it seems more likely that, like you say, it's more likely a negligent where he just had this idea that would really push forward with kind of their narrative and threw it out there as though it were fact. Yeah. 
Um, later on, it says, uh, liberals were also involved in repeating the inference that uh, anti-mandate protesters had conspired to burn down an Ottawa apartment building. In, February, in a February 17th common statement, uh, justifying the need to invoke the Emergencies Act, Liberal MP French, uh, Francesco Sorbara mentioned that or uh, mentioned the attempted arson of a downtown apartment building in Ottawa. The article continues. When Ottawa police finally charged two men they believed to be responsible for the February 6th attempted arson, however, they wrote that there were no reason to believe that men were involved in any way with the convoy protest which was going on when this arson took place. So this was this was a fire that was started in kind of the 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 foyer lobby entrance area to an apartment building. Yeah. And this liberal MP jumps on board and says, well, we need the Emergencies Act because of this attempted arson. I, did, did she have reason to think that this was actually uh, uh, linked to the Freedom Convoy protesters? I don't know. At best, it would seem negligent. Or, like, she doesn't back it up with any evidence. Yeah. So I either have to say this is... like it. Like if if I if I am truly being cynical, I go to this is just plain old disinformation. This is just lying for your own motive or political motivations. Yeah, you know. But this is this is the kind of stuff that keeps going coming up. Um, May second, Public Safety Minister Marco uh, Mendocino told the House of Commons that the idea for the Emergencies Act came by way of law enforcement. Quote, at the recommendation of police, we invoke the Emergencies Act to protect, uh, protect Canadians, he said. During testimony to MPs last week, RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky had, had praised for the government's decision to invoke the Emergencies Act, but poured cold water on the notion that the police had requested it. Lucky said it was ultimately the federal government's uh, call to invoke the act, and the government were, or the, the RCMP were merely consulted. Again, this this kind of fits into the. This might be more of a, of a spin slash misinformation, but it's, it's certainly not a correct statement. No, uh, especially in the context of well, we did this because the police told us to. It's and one thing to say the police would like us to, or even you know that we consulted the police on this matter, to saying the police asked us to do this. That's those are different. Yeah, and it's not just a. It, changing of information that's based on the information they had at the time like there was nothing to indicate that it's really just a made-up statement yep uh and yeah that, those are just three there like often there are a lot of time or a lot of the conversation around you know the, the presence of swastikas and uh and um, a nazi flag were, were used as examples like of, of as classifying the whole the whole thing Though there are certain reasons to think uh, that those were maybe plants that were put in there, or ironic, or, or flags that were brought in as as reflecting what they thought of the government, and not yeah. not the the not the the protesters, but yet they're used yeah. by the government to, as more justification. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this. The, the, so those the, it's hard to, hard to claim you you are so. Um, high and mighty on this issue of, of, of misinformation when those are just a few examples. You got, you got uh, Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, talking about how this was a, a white supremacist rally, essentially, yeah. or, or led by white supremacists, I think is, is the, the quote he put in there. Again, there's, there's no evidence that 
the the or let's put it this way be as careful as i can even though i think this is going beyond what needs to be uh there's nothing saying or there's nothing thinking that there's there's nothing to to prove that the freedom convoy was motivated toward white supremacy ends yeah like like i think that's being as as, as kind as i can about that um i i think you make much stronger statements against what jagmeet singh said um yeah. about it but so I I know this isn't like new, but it's just or a new new thing when it comes to politics. It just seems like why can't we have more? Let's put it this way: political funeral talk. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, then don't speak ill. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Why why can't we why can't we just uh, speak honestly towards one another instead of having to go through this this spin cycle? And that, I think that's being as kind as possible all this misinformation, all this disinformation and, and claim that just because, you know, the other party's asking you hard questions that that is therefore disinformation or, or why can't, why, why can't we just talk more forthrightly with one another, particularly when it comes to political issues and in politics. Um, So all of this, you know, I think it, it, it ends up producing this erosion of trust. And I think this is really important, particularly when it comes to, entities as powerful as the the government and the military <laughs> as, as we yeah. looked at um like there there's there's fewer and fewer things that kind of bond us together as as canadians um we there's just less and less it seems like common values or at least or at least we we don't we we've got to the point where we we don't even focus on that anymore and part of that is driven i think by this by this, these examples of mistrust. Okay, I, I, I lean more, I'm, I would classify myself more than a conservative, and that person over there might be a liberal. And based on what I see uh, on, in, on, in, you know, in the federal legislature or in the, in, in the, the Alberta House of uh, Political, sorry, in, in the federal House of Commons and in, in, in the Alberta legislature, I know how I have to treat that liberal. Yeah. Like I, I just can't trust him. I got I gotta go through all my points and he's gonna throw back his points and we just can't have a good conversation. Um or if we do, we can't talk about politics. And one thing about politics is it often touches on our fundamental beliefs about how society <laughs> and reality should be run. Yeah. So so we just we're left with this kind of shallow interaction if we can't talk about those important things. Um and not so so there's so there's that aspect. So there's this erosion of trust and, and and this need for being, I think, more forthright with with one another, particularly about these these things. And I'm, I'm I think it was I was listening to to a talk by by Jordan Peterson, and he he pointed out uh, kind of when he was in counseling people and, and how significant betrayals are. So. You know, he might be talking to someone whose whose spouse had cheated on that on on him or on on, on her, and how how crushing that is. Like, it's not simply that someone uh, that someone you can't someone you trusted you know lied to you or something like that, or or someone who didn't tell you the truth. Like that's one thing, you know, being lied to. But when there's this betrayal that happens, particularly when it's people that you that you thought you had you knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that you really rely on that 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 betrayal starts to uh, um, it, it causes you to question your own perception of reality 
how like I, I thought I knew that person or I thought I knew what this institution was about, but they, they completely went like reversal on, on what I thought was to be, was true. Right. And so it upends your whole sense of whether or not you can actually trust yourself in, in what you believe about other people, about government. And, yeah. and just think about that, what that mentality does on a large scale. Like you're dealing with a citizenship or a citizenry that, that can't trust each other or the government. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't bode well for, <laughs> for, a, for a country. No. And so I think this is, this is what ends up happening when you look at when, when government doesn't, when government is so steeped in this kind of misinformation, all this political spin, it causes this betrayal and, and, and it, causes us to to lose our trust and 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 even ourselves to perceive whether or not i think i can trust you but can i really because of these past hurts i can yeah. and 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 i i just i would i would wish that that things like this would be able to be corrected and you know it's interesting now with with political arena changing in 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 alberta here um, you know, the voters themselves have a chance to, you know, pick a candidate that they think perhaps embodies more forthright talk. But going back to that betrayal, how many people, when Kenny became the leader of the UCP, had that trust in Kenny? They trusted that he was going to be the leader they wanted. And then he betrayed them. He betrayed that trust in the way he led the party. And so you become less able and less willing to trust another leader. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and, yeah, you just become so cynical towards the whole political process yeah. in, in general. And you just kind of disassociate from, from that. Um, and yeah. And who, how, how quickly that might translate into other areas of one's life. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I, I, I would, I hope we can, when we, when we go to vote, in in whatever setting that takes place in is that we're voting for someone at least we we are constantly looking for that hopefully we don't give up hope that, that such people don't exist but hopefully we can still find certain politicians people in public life that that are forthright yeah um in in their talk particularly at a political level um you know i must say i i, I think at least uh yeah I'll limit it to Penhold because I just don't know the other people around. But, you know, I think in, in Penhold, and this is perhaps the nice thing about local politics is that it's, is, is you have these much tighter personal relationships with people. Yeah. So it's much harder to, to, uh, spin their truth in, in, in their, in that, in their faces like that. Yeah. You, you have to live next door to these people. So it's <laughs> yeah. a little harder. So, you know, while I don't think, uh, local politics is, is immune to this, uh, I, I think, though, particularly in Penhold, I think it's not a major issue, um, and so hopefully we can keep going for that. But now we got a political, we got uh, you know a UCP vote going on. We got the provincial elections going or provincial elections up next year, um, and then we got um, you know the 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 conservative federal conservatives are going through their leadership right, yeah, uh, campaigning now. So yeah, it's that's. When, when I'm looking at who to vote, those who present themselves as honestly as possible are going to warrant at least a second look. Um, you know, it's, it's not that, that, that has to be the first step. You know, it's one thing 
to, to look at where are you going to lead me? The question is, though, do I trust you actually to lead in that direction? Yeah, you you can talk <laughs> a good game, but if I don't trust that, that, that you're actually going to lean that way or go that direction, it means nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess, so, you know, look, look for the most honest politician. That might seem like oxymoron, but I think we have to strive <laughs> for that. I think that's, I think it's so important. Um, so, so often now politicians are the, this, uh, is, is the modern celebrity. Now we just see them all over the place and their, their language, the way they talk, the way they interact with their, with their opposition, it, it, it has to filter down. It has to filter down. Um, and so hopefully we can, we can put better people in those places. Um, now with that said, and just kind of wrap up this section, um, and this isn't an endorsement or anything, but I think it's, it, uh, it's, it's a video worth checking out. It's, uh, and kind of along these lines, um, Jordan Peterson, again, um, he's, he recently sat down with and had an interview with, um, Pierre Polyev, right, who's yeah. running for the, um, leadership of the conservative party at the federal level. And he sat down for an hour and a half, um, conversation with, with Peterson and, I've I've listened to about the first half hour or first 45 minutes of it. It's about an hour and a half. And honestly, it, it, it he at least sounds like a guy who's thought through where he stands on things. Right. Um, no doubt there's sound bites and some of the, you know, cliches that, that there and slogans, political slogans, but there are so few politicians I feel could sit down for an hour and a half and speak substantively about things. And, and deeper things and beyond just their, their, their talking points. Right. So it's actually kind of a, it's quite refreshing to hear an intelligent politician, <laughs> a politician who, who's, who at least if he's, if he, if he is wearing the mask, he wears it more convincingly than most others. Um, like I said, not an endorsement. In fact, he's pro-choice. So that, that to me is a really hard thing to get past when, when I'm picking people. Um, but his political philosophy, I, I'm, I'm really excited by, um, and, and it, it might be worth, worth looking into and, and listening to uh, a potential leader of, of one of the parties and potential prime minister. Um, and, and yeah, I think, I think that listen to the way, the way he talks and it just sounds different. Um, it sounds more straightforward, um, at least, at least comparatively. Um, so that might be one example of, of kind of the, the politician and the political talk that we're, that we're looking for. All right. So let's wrap up the show with another movie review. And, um, if you want, most of these movies that I'm going through are a result of, of me going through, um, American Film Institute's top 100 movies of all time. <laughs> so that's, that would be a common theme though. Victor, Fra Victor Frankenstein is not in that. It's, uh, yeah. it's, 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 it's a good movie. It's probably not top 100. So the no, film last week, that was, that was, that was an outlier. I don't think there were many critics or fans that ranked it really high, but I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. And yeah, it's a good movie, but yes, not top hundred, hundred though. Not that good. Um, but one that is in, in the top hundred, I forget what ranking this one's been given, uh, but it's in the top 50, if not top 30. Um, but this is King Kong from 1933. So this is the original black and white. Uh, and it's, it's remarkable. Um, so this, uh, this is, uh, let's see the directors. 
Though, in 1933, the directors weren't as big deal as they are now. It was more the producers that were kind of the, oh, yeah. the main guys that kind of got the notoriety. But anyways, it was directed by, by Miriam C. Cooper and Ernest B. Um, Shodis, or Shodzak, I guess. Um, and it stars Faye Ray, is probably the most famous name in, in movies, uh, or at least famous name in this movie. Um, Robert Armstrong, Bruce Cabot. I'm not as familiar with those guys. Um, but I'll give them their, their due. So it, uh, King, uh, this movie, King Kong, featured, and again, made in 1933, uh, is, is kind of follows this ambitious movie director who has a reputation for like filming anything um, and willing to go anywhere for the shot. And so he's heard about this mysterious um, skull mountain uh, and uh, on this island that only he's, he knows and he gives the map and, uh, to, to the, and so they sail off with his crew and gear off to, to this island. Uh, and, and so behind this huge gate that's been established or that this, that this uh, um, primitive culture has, has put there to keep out everything else behind it. He knows that he's heard about this legendary creature that's back there. He wants to film it. Um, but his ambitions are obviously will probably lead to terrible consequences as <laughs> we probably know. Even if, even if you haven't watched King Kong, um, excuse me, um, there, yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't go well. And so this, this movie features, um, some remarkable stop motion, uh, by Ray, Ray Harryhausen. And really, I, I really need to look more into him, but he is kind of the VFX godfather of movies. Hmm. Um, so anywhere, he, he, I forget how far he went up. He had to, so this is 1933. I bet you it was in the 70s or the 80s. He kept going. Um, but yeah, he, he's a legend in, in kind of the movie effects, and particularly stop motion animation. And so... King Kong is, is all stop motion and it's composited in with, with live action and done actually convincingly well in many cases, particularly for 19, 1933, usually expecting kind of this, this kind of screen in the background, kind of janking around a little right. bit, yeah. disconnected from the, from, the, from the foreground, but they hold it pretty steady. The stop motion is, is a little rough um, at, at times, particularly for modern sensibilities. All this has to be in that kind of context. Um, and nonetheless, it, the, the amount of work that was put into it, because not only do you have King Kong, and one thing I didn't realize was how many monsters there are actually in this movie. Mm. Um, you have King Kong, and this world is not just Kong, but it has, uh, has it's basically dinosaurs. Uh, you, have you watched the movie Journey to the Center of the Earth? Yes. Um, yep. I think any version of those ones. Um, but I think those ones are filled with a whole bunch of different creatures. Isn't there like a dinosaur world or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Um, so it kind of feels like that. So you not only have King Kong living on this island, but you have a T-Rex, there's a Stegosaurus going on. Right. You have pterodactyls. You got this kind of weird snake lizard thing. And all these all these end up having battles with with King Kong through it, all in stop motion. Oh, wow. Um, and and it's it's... You, you see, you can see kind of the lineage of, of King Kong in, uh, say, like things like Jurassic Park. Um, for example, the King Kong actually like puts a, a lot of people into his mouth and starts chomping on them. Oh, there, there's a, there's, it's not gory or anything, oh, but, yeah. but it, I didn't expect to see that. Yeah. Like that, that was like Jurassic Park. Like 
that was that was that was terrible how the monster came and like but here they got the guy who's being crushed inside his, his mouth you see his, his teeth and uh, around around the guys that he's 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 uh eating up and then spitting out or throwing away um so yeah i wonder how graphic this would have felt in 1933 oh it was surprising um uh, yeah so he, yeah he, he battles king kong um or not King, he battles um, um, T-Rex in there and you see, you see him ripping, kind of ripping his jaw. Very similar to what we see in um, in kind of in recent ones with King Kong versus, or Godzilla versus, um, Godzilla, yeah, Godzilla versus King Kong. Right. Um, see similar, you see similar moves in there. So you yep. see some, some lineage. Um, but anyways, so, so a few thoughts uh, kind of on this movie um, kind of popped up. So as they go to the um, the island, they, there's this primitive tribe or, or culture there that they look like they're in the middle of some sort of ceremony, and you learn that they're um, preparing uh, basically a human sacrifice. They they refer to her as uh, as the bride of of King Kong. So it seems like this is almost uh, some sort of annual ritual, mm-hmm. and yeah. so they're, they're preparing they're preparing to send this this girl into the wall or behind the wall. As 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 the as a sacrifice, and so the crew shows up, interrupts that scene, and it becomes the the crew or the the primitive tribe sees the girl that the the movie crew has brought along, this blonde, fair skinned uh, actor, uh, and say, oh, she would be even better. <laughs> yeah, and so they end up picking her and then putting her in as 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 a as the sacrifice, and that kind of sets off the 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 rest of the movie. As King Kong takes her and looks like she's about, and, and takes her takes her back to the lair, and the the rest of the movie crew and sailors are all chasing after, trying to to rescue her. And so there's this kind of interesting contrast here between the primitive and civilized cultures that are, that are going on here. Of course, one culture sees no problem with human sacrifice, and and here's the, if you will, the civilized culture. If we can if we can say that kind of thing now. Going in and trying to rescue the the damsel in distress. Yep. Um, the I, I think the interesting kind of uh, component here is the director himself. Remember, he's this like, super ambitious guy, and from near the beginning, he he no because of his reputation and the, and the potential danger. Like no girl is is willing to go along, or no one's willing to find him an actress to, right. to, to yeah. be in this movie. So he basically goes out there. And and finds Faye Ray's character, um, and kind of sweeps her away to be part of his movie, and is really prepared to use her as kind of bait in his movie. Right. Yeah. And so the question is, you know, how far distance is the director from the rest of the, from the other primitive cultures? Um, he's, he's as he's willing to to you know sacrifice. So, so to speak, this they put this this uh, female in danger for the picture. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that's, that's kind of one element of it. The um, the other one that comes up is um, this kind of whole idea of chivalry, and it's it, the other kind of contrast is the whole the beastliness of King Kong, and how he is kind of attracted. To the beauty of the of Fay Ray's character of, of Anne Darrow is, is her is her character's name, and so 
you you think it's going to be a sacrifice, but he the the but King Kong feels himself um like he wants to keep her. Yeah. Not the, not the, not the eater or anything like that, but he's he's attracted to her, intrigued by her. In fact, there's as far as the comp, compositing goes, there's a really interesting scene where you have the stop motion of King Kong. Actually, they make it look like he's a he's interacting with the live action um, ah, of Fay yeah. Ray's character. And you can see you can see the outline of the composite of it, but it's, it's really interesting because they're filmed entirely separately. Yeah. When when King Kong is holding um Anne or the Anne Darrow's character, you see how they actually turn her into a stop motion character as well. Oh yeah. In many cases, yeah. So it's a stop motion actor or female in, in King Kong's hand in many cases. But there's one scene in particular where he's stop motion, she's live action, and they and they're trying to make it look like there's interaction between the two. Right. So it's very clever um, for, for its time. But it's, it's, it's the beastliness and the interaction with the beauty of, of, of Andaro. And I think that's paralleled with, the, the, with one of the, the sailor, lead sailors on the boat. Uh, he, he's first introduced as this kind of rough, gruff kind of sailor kind, yelling out orders and, and does not like the idea of a female on board. They're just trouble, inherently trouble on board. Yep. Um, this is no place for them. And you see, you see how the beauty of her wins over the kind of the macho beastliness of the sailor. Right. And I think, I think that's clearly intentional. Um, and, and, and it's, it's, it's that it's, and so he becomes attracted to her and he's kind of the main guy to go kind of, in 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 the strain of a good knight to go rescue the princess, yeah, um, and that's that's something that is just you, harder. You don't see that as much anymore in the movies, or if you do, you know, because it, it's clearly a damsel in distress kind of thing. Yeah, like she she's just utterly helpless, and and the man has to come help her, and you see in, in today's movies the shift away from that. Entirely. In fact, you can even see in Jurassic Park, they have a little brief scene about whether or not uh, Laura Dern's character should go turn on the power power panels, or the 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 old guy. I can't remember his name. Um, anyways, the, the 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 male should go do it. There's a brief scene. She goes do it. She goes and does it. Does the dangerous thing. Um, and so, but I think, I think movies like this still still remind us that I think there is something intrinsically good about a man wanting to protect um, the female, the female um, human, uh, female <laughs> species doesn't seem right. But, <laughs> but the, the, if you will, the politically incorrect term, the, the, the weaker sex, yep. um, the, there, there is something I think society loses when men aren't allowed to be strong and protective in that, in that way. Mm -hmm. and you end up with soft men. Um, and that as, as much as, as much as we in society's culture don't like to hear it, I think that is a poisonous conditions for a healthy society. You need the strength of men to push things forward. Um, and, and here in these old movies, you, you still see a recognition that this is, this is the way, this is a good thing. This is what right. this is what a man should be doing, um, and it's interesting. And it happens. Yeah, it happens 
partly because of the power of the beauty of the female that does it. Right. It's, 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 so there's this, there's this duality going on there. It's not that the, it doesn't, it's not that women have to become men and men, men have to be all the characteristics of, of females. It's not that it's, it's the interaction between the differences that drives it. Yeah. If, if men didn't find women attractive, we would be in a very different society. <laughs> Yeah. There's a there there is something there is something good and and something we should acknowledge about the beauty of females that 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 men are attracted with. That in that in and of itself is not a bad. I and I you know it can be perverted. That's 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 not what I'm talking about, yep. but there's a healthy sense in which men are attracted to uh females by their by their appearance. And I think uh I think and if you I don't think this is becoming again. I'm I'm hesitating because I'm, I'm I feel the pressure of culture <laughs> yeah. on, on this. Um, that I think there's there's a lot of females like the security of a strong and protective man who's willing to to um, be that protector. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't mean you have to uh, you know the female is this kind of helpless. Um, a, um, princess who can't do anything mm. herself. That's not what I'm talking about. But there is something that 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 is good for men to feel the the responsibility to be protective about um about females, particularly his his wife, um and his family. That that's good. That needs to be recognized. And I think a lot of that is is forgotten now. And it's these old movies that still kind of retain and and remind us of that that still exists and is still a good that needs to be, that needs to be recognized still. Yeah. So if you get the chance, um, check out some of these older movies, uh, particularly King Kong, uh, like I said, is from 1933. And, and if you are having trouble finding it, um, I will return it back to the library soon. <laughs> uh, and so like I said, if you're, if you're looking for some of these older movies and, and sadly, a lot of these streaming services just don't have a good selection of, yeah. of these classics. Um, the, the library has been a great resource for for renting out or borrowing I should say you don't have to pay pay your 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 annual subscription or annual fee and you get access to all these all these movies from across uh the province like i I, I borrowed uh, yeah I borrow a movie all the way like you can you can borrow a movie from any library in Alberta for free yeah and they'll bring it right to the panel library and you just go pick it up um so yeah they, they, so King Kong nineteen thirty three worth checking out all right with that we've i uh, i should why am i saying we i've droned on long enough <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna drag you into this i've i dragged you in at the beginning i called you out i'm gonna call myself out at the end here um my yeah i i have i've i've bent your ear long enough if you've lasted this long thank you so much i appreciate it as always leave a comment um if you think i've talked too long then by all means leave that comment or any other thoughts that uh, that we've that we've uh, maybe spurred let us know. Um, other than that, thank you again for, for tuning in, for lis listening, for watching. My name is Brian Constantine. And I'm Michael Rowland. And this has been Penhold Talk Radio. Mm -hmm.